Pastor Ed Taylor on where to find the rest you're longing for. If you're into religious religion, it's not going to be the rest that you think is from God. If you go home today and kind of drown your sorrows in the bottle, I'm not going to give you the rest of God. If you think the next relationship is really going to satisfy, not going to be. You think that promotion that they promise you're going to find out about this week is going to give you the rest, not going to happen. You're not going to get the rest that you're looking for because there's still a rest that remains of all the activity and everything you're doing to attempt to receive a peace of mind and rest is only found in the rest that Jesus Christ promises. This is amazing grace. Have you ever had this happen to you? You show up to a friend's house to help them move, or you arrive at church to help out, and you're told all the work has been done, and your help is no longer needed. That's a pretty good feeling, isn't it? Well, when it comes to our salvation, the work has already been done by Jesus. It's finished, and that means we can be at rest. This good news comes to our attention in Hebrews 4, and that's where we'll camp out today on Abounding Grace. Here's Pastor Ed Taylor with more about the only salvation we can rest in. You're going to find, as you've already seen, that throughout the book of Hebrews, the Old Testament is referenced constantly. Right here, uh, I just want you to see, again, back in chapter 3, beginning at verse 7, if you have a New King James Bible in your hand, you're going to notice that the letters are italicized. Do you guys see that? Chapter 3, about verse 7, 8, 9, and 10. Do you see that? That's the translator's effort to show you that this is a quotation from the Old Testament. And you might even have a little sub-note there that what's quoted in chapter 3 is Psalm 95. And so you can go back to Psalm 95, and that's what a cross-reference is. You can go back to Psalm 95 and see that David wrote this. And the Old Testament's important. And it, it, it really discourages me, truly. I, I really get discouraged when I hear many churches say today that the Old Testament isn't for today. We don't need to study the Old Testament. We're New Testament Christians, you'll hear people say. And it is true, we're, we are New Covenant believers. We're, we, are, we, we are no longer relating to God by our works. and no, Never have we should. Never should we have ever done that. Uh, we're New Covenant. The blood of Jesus Christ forgives us of all of our sins, removes all guilt and shame and condemnation. Yes, yes, yes. But that doesn't mean we ignore the Old Testament. You'll never understand the New Testament unless you understand the Old Testament. You'll never understand, like, like, for example, for those that might be listening right now, you're listening on the radio or listen, watching online, you're like, well, that's our church. We don't, we, I heard my pastor say, we don't need the Old Testament. Okay, so let me ask you this. When Jesus was discipling the 12, and when he was teaching the Pharisees and rebuking them, and all the crowds gathered to him, what was he using? The Old Testament. There was no New Testament at that time. It wasn't written yet. It was being lived, but it wasn't being written. Jesus used the Old Testament. When Paul the Apostle was teaching the gospel, when Peter was teaching on the day of Pentecost, and he stood up and began, what did he share from the Old Testament? He went back to Joel. He said, look, this outpouring of the Holy Spirit, it's what Joel predicted. And it's a very, very important church that you don't just turn your back on the Old Testament. 
Is God, because I know it can be difficult at times to read the Bible. I realize that. I, I know you're coming through some of the section, you go, man, I don't understand that. But, but I want to encourage you, don't throw away your Bible reading because you come, against, come up against a few things you don't understand. Yeah, there are things. I mean, I, I think about it in my own life. I've been studying the Bible for almost 30 years now, and I still come across things and I'm like, wow, that's an interesting thing. I, I've, never, I've never seen that before. I wonder what that means. And, you know, just, just not even a few weeks ago, Marie and I were at a conference, and one of the teachers said something, and it prompted a question in Marie's mind that she asked me on our way back to the hotel, and then it became a big conversation. Like, I don't know if you guys have, when I mean big conversation, it was, it was very animated, you know, because... <laughs> Because Marie can get upset sometimes. Not me, but Marie can get upset sometimes. So it's a very animated conversation about the Bible. And so what about this? And what about this? And we're trying to make... We've always been that way. I love that girl so much, man. And, and the, question, the question was so good, I had never thought of it that way. So check this out. David Guzik, he's a Bible scholar. Into the, so we got to take him to dinner before the airport yesterday. Marie and I, David and his wife. And so wouldn't you know it, Marie wanted somebody to be on her side. And so I didn't know she was doing this. I didn't know she was, so she raises the question at the table. And I'm telling you right now, inside I'm smiling because I'm like, he's totally going to agree. In my mind, he's totally going to agree with me. He's totally going to see it my way. As he begins to answer, everything goes into slow motion <laughs> because he's beginning to agree with her. And he gives the answer, but in his answer, he actually says something that reaffirms me. So I jump in and I go, wait a minute, wait. And it became so, at any rate, I was right. <laughs> Biblically, I was right. Even convincing David Guzik. But here's the point. You're always going to come up against things you don't understand. That's just part of it. You don't throw away the Old Testament because there's some difficulties. Because once you grasp the understanding of the Bible in its entirety, it's an amazing revelation of God's love for you. Amazing. Beyond what you could even understand. I know how hard it can be, you know, especially when you begin in the beginning of the year and you want to read through the Bible, right? So you got a plan and you read through Genesis. You go, this is awesome. I love it. I understand. And you get through Exodus and you go, oh, yes, this is great. I'm so glad I started. Honey, I read the Bible. I'm reading the Bible. Leviticus, I'm done. <laughs> And so my encouragement to you is it's okay to skip over hard parts. It's okay to just read through it and even if you don't understand it. Because some of you get frustrated because you're just that kind of person that isn't satisfied unless you understand everything. So if you don't understand it, don't be so frustrated. Just write. Maybe get a journal, a little notebook, and just write down. I don't understand this. Don't understand this. Some great Bible difficulty books out there uh, where they answer questions. There's some great websites that can answer. So, so don't, don't dismiss the Old Testament. Don't. Don't, don't. Even if big name pastors that have churches of hundreds of thousands of people begin to say, oh, you don't need the Old Testament, they're wrong. It's the whole Bible for the whole believer. All of it is inspired by God, not just a little bit. As we study through the Old Testament, we begin to understand the unveiling of the will of God progressively. We grasp the overall theme of God's Word. Those of you that were with us when we studied through the book of Revelation, you know you can't understand Revelation without understanding the symbolism from the Old Testament. As John was on the island of Patmos, he was steeped in the Old Testament. They were all, all of the believers were steeped, and we must be too. And you know by now as a pastor, you know, as we walk through this journey together, my heart and my desire, why we moved to Colorado, why we're involved in this church 
And why we love this city and we invest so much in this city is that I desire for you to be well-fed biblically, like, like the Word of God would just feed you well, that you would be so nourished, so loved, so cared for, that your love of Jesus and your knowledge of His will would move you and mobilize you to reach this city the same way you've been reached. Like, that's our commitment. That, that is what we, our team here, our staff, the volunteer leaders, the lay leaders, the servants, that's, that's what we desire. We desire for you to grow in God's grace. We desire for you to grow in his love. We desire, and so the mechanism and the tool that God has given us to do that is the Bible, all of it, from Genesis to Revelation. And it's my prayer that your appetite for God's word would only increase, not decrease. And that you would continue to be hungry for what God has to say. The more of the word of God that you get in you, the stronger you'll become. The better prepared you'll be. The more ready for what's up ahead. As I read and study the Old Testament, as we see here this reference going backwards, and we'll see a few more references in this section. The more I read the Old Testament, I'm reminded not to follow the, example, the bad examples that are there. When they did not believe, that's not a good example for me. I must choose to believe, even with little facts or, you know, if I don't have the big picture. Because I, I'm one of those guys that I refer to, that I like to understand things. I like to grasp things. I like to figure things out, if you will. But so much in life can't be figured out. The Bible says that God's ways are not our ways. And that's a frustrating thing to someone that wants to understand everything that wants answers for everything, that believes that with every question there should be an answer, like a real good solid answer, like really specific and precise. And at times God gives us that. But in the times that he doesn't, our life is not built on facts. Our life is built on faith. And our faith is built on facts. And we are able to know that God, God has given us all that we need to know in order to relate to him and to trust him. So when you hear, coming back to Hebrews now, when you hear the word of God, Old Testament or New Testament, you've got to understand the only way it's going to profit you is by mixing it with faith. To believe what God has said and to do it. Because unbelief will keep you from all that God has for you and desires for your life. Unbelief will keep you from all that God has for you. Unbelief begins when I no longer look at the faithfulness and reliability of God and I only look at myself. That's unbelief. Unbelief is, it happens when I hear a lie and I accept it, even though the Bible says something opposite. Unbelief begins when I see my own weaknesses and I focus on my own failures and I see my own inabilities and I get afraid and anxious. When I believe that everything relies upon me and my resources. And when I failed, I forget the grace of God and the mercy of God. And I get caught up in my own emotions. And then we get caught up in our own thinking. And we begin to, we have all the resources that are available to us. You know, it's, it's sort of like when we moved to Colorado, this is not what we had in California. Like, it was a different way of life here. And one of the things that was different for us is that um, we had a house with a garage, first of all, and, and we had a freezer. We, one of the first things we did was buy a freezer for the garage. Imagine that. Never thought of that in my whole life. Never, my, my parents didn't do it. I didn't do it. But when we moved here, it was like, man, get a freezer. Why? I don't know. It was just part of the package. Just get a freezer. And so we bought a freezer. Like one of the first things we did, we bought a freezer, put it in the garage. It was empty for so long. It's like, what are we supposed to do with the freezer? But then I found out wintertime stinks. 
And so you got to have food, and you got to have food. And when those are my kids were growing up. The boys, man, they just, they could eat, they could empty that freezer in a day. They were so, they just ate. They never stopped eating. I don't know where it all went. And so, okay, we have stuff in the freezers now, now, you know, we Costco, we put stuff in the freezer. And it would be like being in the kitchen and going, oh, we're so hungry. Oh, we're so hungry. And just sitting there at the, what's going on? What's happening, Marie? We have no food. It's in the freezer. Oh, it's no, we're hungry. I have no food. It's in the freezer. And I never go to the garage and get the food. And by the way, since we're talking about Marie, <laughs> she's not here, so it's all right. She was here last night. And I was much kinder last night, but I'm not going to say it. All that God has for you, you just got to get it. Just respond. Just accept. Your life isn't dependent upon your resources and your unfaithfulness and your mistakes. It's not all your inability. That God is greater than all of those things. He's faithful. One of my most favorite verses in it's become of a life verse, especially in the last five years or so in my life. It's become a life verse. It's almost replaced Proverbs chapter 3 in my life. But it's in Timothy where Paul tells Timothy, even when we are faithless, God, he remains faithful because he won't deny himself. So even in the wanderings that are in your heart right now and the difficulties that you brought into this room and the battle that you have in your mind right now with receiving the word of God and believing it because your circumstances are very difficult and the issues in your life are very real. The diagnosis of the doctor, the child that doesn't want to follow God, the bill that is going to be on the table when you get home, the need to move and have to vacate your house and move some, all of that is real and it's a battle in life. It, it reminds me of, of just facing the storm that the disciples did with Jesus being there asleep. You think God's asleep and it causes you not to believe. And lack of belief means you're not going to profit from the word of God. You're not going to profit from what God has for you. As things get so bad, you begin to think that God doesn't love you anymore and doesn't bless you. That, that, you'll, that you'll never experience his rest. That you'll never have what's being taught today. That you'll never be good enough. You know, I yelled at my kids. I was mad on I-25. I didn't do my devos this week, so God certainly doesn't bless me and doesn't care. And yet, with that attitude, you have no faith. You're not mixing with God. The, the, you're not mixing with what you've heard, that, that, there, that God, I believe you in what you said, and I trust you, even when I don't feel it, even when I don't experience it, even when I live contrary to it. The essence of the warning is mix what you hear by faith and enter in. It's not dependent upon your performance, but upon the grace of God. And he, God gives rest because he loves you and sent his son Jesus Christ to die for you. It's yours. It's in the freezer, man. Just go get it. Take it. It's all stocked up and ready for you to receive. Verse 4. For he has spoken in a certain place of the seventh day in this way. And God rested on the seventh day from all his works. And again in this place they shall not enter my rest. So he, he's going to walk you down a path. And it starts in Genesis when God rested from his creative work. Okay, keep that in mind. Then the second one, the second rest that's mentioned is right at the, at the border of the promised land when they don't enter in. Okay, and verse 6. Since therefore it remains that some must enter in, and those to whom it was first preached did not enter because of disobedience, again he designates a certain day saying in David, 
today, after such a long time as it's been said, today, if you will hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. For if Joshua, that's literal Joshua from the book of Joshua, the one that ends up leading people into the promised land, if he had given them true rest, then he would not have afterwards spoken of another day. There remains therefore a rest for the people of God, for he who has entered his rest has also himself ceased from his works as God did from his. So again, this is a complicated argument that's being made by the author to make a point for people that understand the Old Testament. That's really what he's saying. He says, remember back in the creation when God was creating, he rested there. But that rest wasn't a rest from, from work. It was a rest of completion. Everything was done. And so God rested. He didn't stop working. He just rested because his, his work was done in that particular area. So God still worked today, but at the creative time in the book of Genesis, the Bible says that he rested. Then David writes in verse 7. Now, don't you find it interesting that David writes that the Old Testament is referred to something that David wrote. David wrote it. But we also learn in verse 7 of chapter 3 that therefore as the Holy Spirit says. So Psalm 95 is referred to as authored by the Holy Spirit and also authored by David. Remember, because the author of the Bible is God. God wrote the Bible. If anybody ever asks you, who wrote the Bible? The answer is God. God wrote the Bible. And he used human beings as the instruments to write it all down. But the Bible is inspired by God. We believe in something called the plenary inspiration of God. We believe that the Bible is God's truth. We don't believe simply that the Bible contains God's truth. Because people that believe that say this, that they say, because it sounds, it sounds good, doesn't it? Oh, I believe the Bible contains truth. That sounds pretty good, but the problem with that is, is that if you're the, if you're the one that determines what's true and not true, then the Bible has no effect. So it is true that the Bible contains truth, but we believe a step higher than that, and that is the Bible is truth. All of it. That's what the word plenary means. All of the Bible. And so David wrote of another rest. So you go, well, what's the big deal? Okay, Genesis, God's resting from creation. The promise of rest to the children of Israel, they didn't enter in. Joshua led a generation in, and yet after Joshua led the people of God into the promised land, David says a few thousand years later, there's still a rest. And this is the point that he's making. The point is very simple for them. Of all the things that you learned of rest in the Old Testament, it wasn't fulfilled until Messiah came. That's the source of real rest. And the argument that he's making is simply this. You have the promised rest that no one else before you got to enjoy. That's all he's saying. And he's using the element, true stories of the Old Testament to show him, to show the, the readers and to show you. Like, for example, what would he say to us today? He would say, how, how would this be for us today? Look, if you're into religious religion, it's not going to be the rest that you think is from God. If you go home today and kind of drown your sorrows in the bottle, I'm not going to give you the rest of God. If you think the next relationship is really going to satisfy, I'm not going to be. You think that promotion that they promise you're going to find out about this week is going to give you the rest, I'm not going to happen. You're not going to get the rest that you're looking for because there's still a rest that remains of all the activity and everything you're doing to attempt to receive a peace of mind and rest is only found in the rest that Jesus Christ promises. 
That's the essence of our time today. True rest is found in Jesus alone. The rest of completion. The, the rest of the finished work of Jesus Christ. In verse 9 it says, Therefore there remains a rest for the people of God. After all of his activity, there was still a perfect rest. And that's the rest of forgiveness. The rest of faith. It's so hard, isn't it, to rest in faith. It's so hard to rest in a, in, a top, in, a, in a life filled with turmoil and difficulty. It would be easier if God just showed me what he was doing, right? Don't you want, wouldn't it be just easier if God showed, I mean, if God told me, you know, Ed, in, in five and a half years, that's when I'm going to fix it. But you're going to, it's going to be hard for five and a half years. I, I kind of think that that would help me. It actually wouldn't help me. It would make me really nervous and anxious for five and a half years to come. So what does God do? Just trust me today in the moment, son. Yeah, but aren't you going to explain? No, I want you to trust me now. Yeah, but aren't you going to? No, I'm not. And if you keep it up, I'm not going to share less with you. And things are going to get, I'm going to allow things to get harder. You go, oh, that's not nice. Yeah, but I'm teaching you something, son. I'm teaching you how to trust me. I'm teaching you what it means to surrender your life to me in greater ways. And church, there remains a rest for you. Don't go backwards. Don't wander around. Trust in the finished, completed work of Jesus Christ. Where on the cross, in his final breaths, Jesus declares, it is finished. And I just sense today that you, some, you know, perhaps one, but I think a few more than one, are so anxious. You're so worried. And I know you don't want to be there. It's not like that's the choice of your life. That you want to be so worried about what's happening right now and so concerned about the future and so upset about the current circumstances. And I just want to acknowledge to you, as hard as that is, it doesn't remove the love of God from you. There's a compassion, I think, that God has for our weaknesses of our flesh. We all have them. Like, it might be different. You, you might be here today, well, it has nothing to do with me because I'm not an anxious person. Well, you've got other issues that separate you from a good, fruitful relationship with God. But I just feel a burden for the anxious today because the rest that God promises is found in your relationship with Jesus Christ. And it doesn't make sense, does it? Because we trust God for the biggest issue in our life, the salvation of our soul and the forgiveness of sin. And he delivered so many of us. I can look at my life. I was sharing my testimony with somebody after the service last night. Like, God saved me. There is no question. Zero question. God saved my soul, rescued me, rescued my marriage, rescued my family. Absolutely. But I'm worried about this? Yes. Because my eyes are no longer on the high, glorious, sufficient, finished work of Jesus Christ. I'm on myself. And I'm a poor savior. Did you know that? I'm a horrible savior. I can't save anybody. But my God, who sent his son Jesus Christ, he's my savior. And he is the savior, not a savior. He is the savior. Where he would come to you and me today, he would get down right on our level as if we were little children, and he'd get down on his knees to us. He'd look us in the eye, and he would say, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no one's going to get to the Father but through me. So come unto me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. We've been in the book of Hebrews today on Abounding Grace. 
Pastor Ed Taylor is leading us verse by verse through the epistle. Would you like to hear today's message again? You can listen online 24-7 at AboundingGraceRadio.com or hear us through Apple Podcasts. Another way to go is to download our church app and Grace FM Colorado app. Do a search for Calvary Aurora. You'll find Abounding Grace right there as well as many other helpful resources. Where in the world did that come from? Maybe that's crossed your mind when you've had a nasty thought. And sometimes our thoughts are out of control along with our lives. But I'm happy to say there is a way to win the war in your mind. Craig Groeschel lays out the strategy in his book, Winning the War in Your Mind. Drawing from scripture and the latest findings of brain science, Craig presents practical strategies that will help free you from the grip of harmful and destructive thinking and go on to live the life God intends for you to live. Request a copy today when you support Abounding Grace with a gift of $25 or more by calling 877-30-GRACE. That's 877-30-GRACE. We can't thank you enough for your support. God is doing a wonderful work through the radio and Internet these days, and you can be a part of it. Call toll-free at 877-30-GRACE or go online to AboundingGraceRadio.com. Well, that's all the time we have for today, but come back next time when we'll resume Pastor Ed Taylor's study of Hebrews on Abounding Grace. This is amazing grace. Abounding Grace is brought to you by Calvary Church, Colorado, here in Aurora.